If you'll take your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Samuel, we're in chapter 23, and we'll be looking at verses 1 through 7 this morning, and we are finishing a study on the life of David, and we have looked how God had called him, how God established him, how God prospered him, and then how David fell into sin, how God restored him, the confession of David, and now we find him finishing up his life and kind of giving us his last words uh, to the nation as a whole. Not to, These are not his last words to his family. He actually gives his last words in Second, in, uh, second Kings uh, to his son Solomon before he crowns him. But these are the last words that he gives publicly. And so we're going to be looking this morning at Second Samuel 23, verses 1 through 7. Uh, again, we, we talk a lot about or there's a lot of things written out there about people's last words. And it's kind of a weird thing to think about. I mean, the reality is, is everyone is going to die. So have you thought about what are those last things that you want to say and be remembered for? There's many things out there. You can go on uh, Google and find hundreds upon hundreds of people in their last words. And some people try to be very witty and funny in their last words. There's James Donald French, and he was uh, the last prisoner to be executed in Oklahoma. And he gave these words to the newspaper reporters. Hey, fellas, how about this for a headline tomorrow's paper? French fries. Tries to be funny. At the end of life, there are others. Sir Winston Churchill's last words were, I'm bored with it all. There is a story of Richard Mellon, and I like this story because uh, me and one of the Bennett children have an ongoing on game of tag. And so Robert Mellon uh, was a multimillionaire, and he was the president of Alcoa, and he had a game of tag with his brother Andrew ongoing for seven decades. And so when Richard was on his deathbed, he called his brother over and whispered, last tag. And so poor Andrew remained it for the next four years before he died. Leonardo da Vinci said this, I have offended God and mankind because my work did not reach the quality it should have. The painter of the Mona Lisa, felt like he had not appealed to what God wanted him to be. The one I like is the blues singer Bessie Smith, who died saying, I'm going, but I'm going in the name of the Lord. See, everybody goes. The question is, how do you go? What do you look for in regards to comfort and peace? So we're going to look how David finishes In chapter 23, listen to the word of the Lord. The oracle of David, the son of Jesse, the oracle of the man who was raised on high, the anointed of God of Jacob, the sweet psalmist of Israel. For the spirit of the Lord speaks by me. His word is on my tongue. For the God of Israel has spoken. The rock of Israel has said to me, when one rules justly over men, Ruling in the fear of God. For he dawns on them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. For does not my house stand so with God? For he has made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secure. 
For will he not cause to prosper all my help and my desire? But worthless men are like thorns that are thrown away, for they cannot be taken with a hand. But the man who touches them arms himself with iron and the shaft of a spear, and they are utterly consumed with fire. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, again, as we come to your word, Lord, we ask that you would give us the insights to understand that the only thing that we can boast in is in Jesus Christ alone. So teach us, restore us, and encourage us this morning. For this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So the first thing we're going to see is that he's, David starts by talking about an unlikely life. Um, see, God blesses broken vessels. We understand that because we've studied the life of David. And there is sin and consequences that happen. Because here is the reality. If you have lived a while, the longer that you live, the more funerals that you go to, the more things that you read. And I can always say this without fail. I have never read a bad obituary. They're all good. Anytime that you go to a celebration of life or a funeral, the words that are spoken, now people might say some quirky things about people, but everything is always good. And you kind of look at that and you know, sometimes you know the person, you're going, well, I knew a different kind of person. I wouldn't have given such great accolades or maybe you would have just gone up there and said just very few words because your mom taught you if you have nothing good to say, don't say anything at all. So maybe that would have been the reality But what happens here is with all of David's greatness, and there were some great things in David's life, we see the end part of his life. David is flawed. We've seen his sin. We've seen the consequences upon his family. At this point, he's he's had to see one of his sons die. He's had rape within his family. He's had multiple um, things that have gone wrong. He's had a divided kingdom. He's had to leave his own throne for a while there are things that about this man as great as he was he was flawed so why do we celebrate why why is this a good thing where we finish with david why is it about not david the warrior but it's about the man of david after god's own heart here's why because we all need this it's god's mercy and grace god's mercy and grace Again, let me give you the the definitions. Mercy means it's God not punishing for what our sins deserve. We all deserve hell. We are all flawed. Not one of us has lived a perfect life. Not one. And so God gives to us this great mercy. And again, what we have to watch is that we make sure that the, the mercy that we receive from God, we're willing to give to others. God doesn't give mercy on a scale. He doesn't say, hey, these sins I'm going to pay for, but these aren't. God gives mercy and forgives sin. But he also gives to us grace. And grace is God's blessing us despite the fact that we don't deserve it. It's not that he just goes to the cross. It's not that he just forgives us of our sins. And that's a big deal. But he gives to us his, Jesus' righteousness. So that we are called, listen, sons and daughters of the king. That's an incredible thing. That we would be called the sons and daughters of the king. 
And so here we have mercy and grace being shown to David, this flawed man who was forgiven and restored. And so what he does is he begins to tell of how God um, was boasting uh, in him, in his life. And so David boasts in the Lord and he begins by telling, hey, it's God's choice where all of us end up. Remember, David was this little shepherd boy and in a family that was obscure. Nobody knew about him. Remember, King Saul even had to ask, whose son is this who killed Goliath? Who is this? He's not one of the the wealthy. He's not one of the well-known in the kingdom. He's not somebody I've seen around in social circles. He's not in the paper. Who is he? He's a nobody doing a know-nothing. He's not even great in his own family. I mean, his own father didn't think he was good enough to be king. Are these the only sons that you have? No, there's one more, but he's out with the sheep. You don't want him. He's the runt of the litter. And God says, go get him. See, it's the reality that David comes from nothing. And God gives to him, listen, the kingship of Israel. And I I want you to be overwhelmed with that because I want you to understand that when you come to Christ, he gives you what? A new life. He gives you a new name. He gives to you a new family. He gives to you the keys to the kingdom. And the reality is that, again, listen to what 1 Corinthians, and I know this is a little bit longer of a passage, so if you want to look it up, it's 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 26-31, through or you can look up on uh, the screen. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you are wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. For God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that, as it is written, let the one who boasts boasts in the Lord. So you're not wise. You're not, I mean, that's kind of hard to say. And it's not, it's not very nice of a pastor to say you're worthless. You're weak. If people were trying to pick teams, you would not be picked. You would be picked last. That doesn't sound nice. It doesn't sound good, does it? But yet God takes the weak and the lowly and turns the world, listen, upside down. Turns the world upside down because it's God who's working. It's God who's changing. So we get this understanding that David says, hey, I started with nothing. I'm in the obscurity. I'm a nobody. And yet God in his providence, in his his choosing, chose me to become the king of Israel. And so what he does, he says, this is where I find my hope. And the last words is not in David. It's not in his might. It's not in who he is. It's in God. And so what he does, he starts to say these things uh, as we finish up his story. He says that the spirit of the Lord speaks by me. So again, God's choice to speak him. He finds his hope in the Lord and in his word. 
That's where David finds his hope. And so he says, now God has placed upon my lips and he speaks by me the word that's on my tongue. For the God of Israel has spoken. The rock of Israel has said to me, when one rules justly over men, ruling is in the fear of the Lord. For he dawns in them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. So again, the first thing I want you to understand is that we need to probably take a little bit of a moment here and understand what is inspiration. Now, here's what you have to understand. When we talk about, in our uh, circles, we talk about plenary verbal inspiration. And what does that mean? It means that every word of the Bible is breathed out by God. Now, I want you to hear something. In the originals. In the originals. Not what you have in your hand. In the originals. Listen, God did this in inspiration. He used the personality and the writing styles of the author who are allowed to express what God wanted him to. So he uses the personality. So that's why there's difference. There's a differences in how the, the gospels are written. It's different how Paul writes as compared to Peter. There are differences. And God uses their personality. He uses who they are to do his word. But listen, God so directed the authors that all 66 books that we have in our Bible are free of errors and exactly right. Now, in the original autographs. Now, as we get into these translations, this is where people, I want to make the distinction. If you start having a translation, that's why we make a statement of we're reading from the English Standard Version. Please don't be a one Bible Christian. What do I mean by that? If you are starting to study the Bible, I would wish, and this is very easy in our day and age, you don't even have to pay for it, have at least four translations that you're reading from. Four. Why do I say that? Because it's really easy for people to become one verse people. And you know what? A lot of times what the, you think that one verse means maybe isn't what God intended it to mean. If you're a one translation purpose person, be careful because God brought the original autographs, but then he, he transmits it down. Now, is it trustworthy? Yes, it's trustworthy. There's a, a, a good friend for those who, who know Chris Patterson. He's our um, one of our quadriplegics and living at home. And one of the great quotes is I've had discussions with Chris over the years. He said, Jeff, he says, he goes, I don't understand when people struggle with the, the word of the Lord. He goes, if I truly believe that God was a creator of all the universe, if he created all these planets, he created all the universe, he created the world and all the animals and everything like that, why would I think that he got his book wrong? Why would the God of all that might get his book wrong? He doesn't. He gives to us his truth, what we need. So again, we trust that the word that God is giving to us is true. And so what happens is the Holy Spirit comes upon David here. And he says, the Spirit of the Lord speaks by me. And the word of God is on my lips. So the Holy Spirit is speaking through David, the word of God, through the Psalms and through uh, these stories. And so David says, this is what God is telling you. And what God is telling you is that there's going to be a king who's greater than David. You get that? David is, is for Israel. He's the just king. He's the, we still talk about from the throne of David. He's the, the catch-all. He is the, the, the cat's meow. He's everything to Israel. And David says, I am nothing compared to the one who is to come. And so what he does, he begins to unpack that and says, here's what you, we should be looking for. We should be looking for a just king. 
Because listen, worldly power, what, what do they do? Worldly power is about corruption, abuse. I mean, all you have to do is turn on your TV. Who's turning on who? Democrats are turning on Democrats, Republicans on Republicans. Independents don't know what they're doing. These laws are being reversed. These laws are being brought up. These people are going after these people. These people are going after those people. People are taking bribes. People are taking kickbacks. People are, it's all over. Corruption, abuse. One of the quotes of last people was from a, a condemned convict who said, um, capital punishment is those who don't have capital to pay. Hmm. Life is unfair, and rulers are out for themselves, for their own glory, for their own advancement. That's what the world says, right? He who dies with the most toys wins. But what David is writing about, and what he says about the just king, is there's a difference between worldly power and godly power. And godly power is done. You, When you have someone who fears the Lord, it is a godly and a just king. Why? Because he's accountable to God. Listen, if you don't think that there's an accountability, if you don't think there's judgment to come, then what do you care? If this world truly is all there is, then I get it. Drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. Do what you want to do. But the just king understands that there's a God and there's a God who judges righteously. And so in the fear of God, he becomes a just God, which means he's a God that you can trust. A king who is just and righteous. Listen, we need to look to the king. We need to look to that king to be for the righteous. Because what he does is not only is he a just king, but he comes and brings a righteous rule. How do I, where do I get that? Where it starts talking about the, the breaking of the morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. Listen, a righteous rule is where there is darkness that has been broken. And I want you to think of this in, in, in terms of here. I mean, realistically, what David's kingdom does, it was a righteous rule. It was new, it was breaking forth after Saul's. We hope that, again, every time that we go to the polls, we hope that the next one's going to be better than the one that we just had, Right? We want dawn to break forth after darkness. We sang about it. When did Jesus come back? Did he come back at night? He comes back at dawn. And when is it darkest? Right before. So in the midst of the darkness, the darkness is broken through by the dawning of the day. And so what happens is the sun begins to shine forth. And as the sun, the sun begins to shine forth, what happens? There's renewal. There is change, there's righteousness and integrity, there's renewal, there's rain, there's the new grasses. We begin to fix what is broken, we turn the world upside down. We begin to love the way that Christ wants us to love, not the way the world loves. We begin to give things that are precious to us, not leftovers to us. We begin to, 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 to do things for people that the world says, that's crazy, why would you do that? Because of Christ who comes and brings integrity and righteousness. And he brings to us that renewal as he breaks forth in the darkness. Are you bringing those bright lights that pierce the darkness? Do people know that there's something different? Because that's what he calls us to be in Christ. Break the darkness. Heal the sick. Set captives free. And in the midst of that, he has an assurance. Why does he have an assurance that this is going to happen? Because of the covenant relationship. It's an everlasting covenant. That's what he tells us. Now, again, let's 
remind ourselves about the covenant relationship. So the covenant relationship, where we go back to is we go back to what Abraham did. Remember God came and he cut the animals in pieces. It's called cutting a covenant. And so the people would say from the, in the suzerain treaties that were around during that time, the, the greater would come in and say, I'm going to do this for you. And this is what's required of you. And so God put down the covenant with Abraham and he said, I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people. and You're going to be, obey my commandments. There is a thing that has to happen. You're going to obey my commandments. And so God cut the animals in pieces and the blood ran to the middle and God walked through it. And then said, okay, Abraham, now it's your time. And Abraham at least was wise enough to say, uh-uh, I'm not going through that. Because I know I can't keep my side of the covenant. But the covenant was established. And when the covenant was established, it was, listen, an everlasting covenant. God said, I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people and you will obey my commandments. Fully, be holy as I am holy. And as since God is the author, it is everlasting. And it is perfect. It is right. And so he establishes this covenant, not just with Abraham, but he establishes it with David and his family and his offspring. And ultimately through Christ. So this covenant relationship is established and he gives an oath to it. And the oath is that he provides the conditions. But listen, God also provides the provision. Because what is the new covenant? Jesus is the one perfect sacrifice who sheds his blood to fulfill the covenant provisions that God established with Abraham. Jesus had to die. He had to, even though he was perfect, because he's the only one who could fulfill. That's why we have Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. Again, it goes back to David. Who do we boast in? We boast in the Lord alone. So we run back to the new covenant because it's where Jesus has paid our price. But there is, listen, there is still a woe in this passage. And we get it at the end. But worthless men are all like thorns that are thrown away, for they cannot be taken with a hand. But the man who touches them arms himself with iron and the shaft of a spear, and they are utterly consumed with fire. See, David believes in the covenant, but yet David has already seen. Listen, David has already seen his own offspring fail. They failed. But David holds firm to the everlasting covenant that God gave to them, that there would always be someone to sit on the throne to rule in his stead. And because God said it, David says, I believe that. And so that's what I hold firm to. But there is the warning to those who are not in Christ God will defeat his enemies. There is judgment. He will execute judgment. Listen, the sun, when it talks about the new sun coming, the bright sun coming up in the morning, it brings renewal. But listen, for those of us, and we know here in Florida, because a lot of us have uh, cancer spots and different things because we sat on the side too long and we have been scorched. The sun does both. It brings renewal, but it also can bring death. And so the Son brings judgment upon those who are not found in Christ. And you know what? They, he, he tells you how they're like. They're thorns. Everything about them is annoying, hurtful, painful. And those who don't repent, who don't turn back to Christ, what do they have? They only have wrath to come. 
He says, I'm going to take and I'm going to take the blades. I'm going to cut these down and I'm going to consume them with fire. What are you going to say with your last words? Are you thinking of something funny? Are you thinking of something? Maybe it's nice. I mean, I've found a lot of people saying to their spouse, you're the last person that I'm thinking of. Or would your hope and your security be found in Jesus Christ? See, the story isn't just David's story. It's Jesus' story. You remember Jesus starts off in Bethlehem, a know-nothing town from a know-nothing clan in obscurity. But he is the ideal king because he gives perfect judgment, perfect righteousness, perfect integrity, perfect rule. And Jesus came and he turned the world upside down and he did it not with a sword. He did it by getting down on his hands and knees and wiping the disciples' feet. He came by praying for the disciples He came by loving in a perfect way. But make no mistake, there is judgment for those who think they can do it on their own. So I beg you, as David begs you, turn to Jesus Christ. Run to him, not from him. Because only in Christ will you ever find life. And then death, death will be just the beginning. Amen? Let's pray.